Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that takes you inside the biggest deals at the biggest clubs in world football. I'm Johnny McFarlane and joining me today are our transfer market insiders and pundits extraordinaire, Duncan Castles and Ian Nagari. This week, it's the story everyone is talking about as Josie Mourinho brands Paul Pogba a virus following their 2-2 draw with Southampton. Our man Duncan Castles broke the story and gives us the inside track on the likely fallout for the player, manager and club. Christmas has come early for the players at Manchester City and Chelsea, as Santa has arrived with bumper contracts ahead of potential sanctions for both clubs that could see them restricted in upcoming transfer windows. We take a deep dive into the detailed planning that's already underway at both clubs. And Pulisic, De Gea, Sandro and Fabinho, we bring you the latest on the transfer stories that won't go away. Okay, where else to start but the Daily Records exclusive story broken by our very own graduated Dr. Duncan Castles about Josie Mourinho saying that Paul Pogba is a virus. Uh, he made these comments to, to Pogba in the aftermath of a 2-2 draw between Manchester United and Southampton at the weekend. Duncan, what's the antidote to Paul Pogba? That is the... Uh... Well, I was going to say the million-dollar question, but with Paul Pogba, it's probably the $150 million question. Um, it's uh, Yeah, I was um, shocked when I got the story um, after the match. Uh, well, I actually got it uh, Sunday morning um, that uh, Mourinho had dressed Pogba down after what was an appalling performance, statistically an appalling performance, and, and just watching him in the field, an appalling performance. Um, one of those ones that Pogba intersperses with his with his genius on the pitch. Um, but he was dressed down and, and uh, Mourinho told him he was a virus um, and that he was uh, spreading an infection amongst the team. Um, uh, you don't play, you don't respect players and supporters and you kill the mentality of the good, honest people around you is what I'm, I'm told uh, Mourinho said to Pogba. Um, this We've talked um, at length about the problems between Paul Pogba and Jose Mourinho um, since basically since last season, since, since things started to fall apart between them. Um, we talked about how Mourinho basically couldn't move him out in the summer because there wasn't a, a viable taker for a player who was being offered to all the big clubs in Europe by um, his agent, Mino Raiola, and the best offer that was proposed was um, uh, Yerimina and Andre Gomez in exchange for Pogba by Barcelona, which Manchester United understandably laughed out of court. Um, but we've gone through a season where um, Mourinho has handed Pogba the captaincy, put him on penalty duties, um, set up the system around him, talked positively about him in the press, even though Pogba was doing post-match interviews. Um, talking about his unhappiness uh, at Manchester United and then most famously um, saying that the team should attack, 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 which resulted in Josie stripping him of the captaincy. Um, there seemed to be a reconciliation in that Pogba had a, a series of good performances for the team and was pivotal, and pivotal in, in some of their comebacks they've had this season. But the performance has dropped off um, in the last three games, very poor against Crystal Palace, subbed off, left on the bench for the young boys game, um, and then back in the team at Southampton. And as I say, probably probably his worst performance in a Manchester United shirt. And then Mourinho decides to do this in front of the the, the dressing room, um, and the story comes out 
that this has happened. And the, the question then is, where do the club go next? Because this is uh, essentially, for me, I see this as a challenge. One to Paul Pogba, will you respond? Will you sort yourself out? Will you um, perform something close to the level you're capable of on a consistent basis? Stop making ridiculous errors that, that are costing the, the team points in games with, with bad decision-making. Stop overplaying the ball in the field, which is a major complaint on Mourinho's part. He wants, he wants one or two touch football. He wants the ball move quickly. And Pogba is often the guy holding him up. Um, I think also there's an element of uh, asserting power, showing that he's prepared to stand up to a player who's hugely commercially important to Manchester United and is aware of his commercial importance, um, letting the rest of the dressing room know that what he sees from Pogba is unacceptable and he's prepared to take action against them. But then there's the, also the key element that we need to talk about in a programme called the transfer window, which is it's kind of a challenge to Ed Woodward. Um, who is more important? I think you can see it this way. Who is more important to you, Paul Pogba or Jose Mourinho? Um, and are you prepared uh, to consider the possibility of selling Pogba, cashing in, uh, find another club to move him to, and reinvesting that money in the team? Because um, we all know that he wasn't given enough money in the summer window. We all know he wanted a centre-back in to strengthen the team and was uh, barred from having that centre-back in. He's still trying to get a centre-back in. He's, he's um, also looking in midfield. Um, and there's clearly the potential there, a strategy there, um, to say to the club, if you're not going to fund properly a centre-back, um, allow me to cash in on uh, still the most valuable player in the squad and, and reinvest that money in the positions I, I think need to be strengthened for us um, to be properly competitive in the Premier League and to um, continue our Champions League campaign and have a chance of going deep into that tournament. Now, interestingly, <clears throat> there is a precedent here um, with regards not just the right time to move a player, but in also, also the case Manchester United. Um, people always praise Sir Alex Ferguson for knowing when a player had gone too far or exceeded his... Um, sense of what responsibility was to the club as a player or to his teammates and to the fans, something which um, Duncan's excellent report uh, for the Daily Record pointed out that the virus analogy, I think, was, was very, very telling. Uh, a virus is something which begins with one person and spreads to others and affects them equally um, and affects, therefore, the environment around them in a way which is entirely negative. Now, the press I'm talking about here is David Beckham. In 2003, Sir Alex Ferguson decided that even though Beckham was the biggest, if you like, icon, the most commercially viable and um, marketable asset that the club had, that as far as he, the manager, was concerned, Beckham's influence in the dressing room, in the training ground, and the distractions which retaining David Beckham um, had for the rest of his players, for Manchester United as a football club, the drama, basically, is what he was talking about, that it was better for Beckham to move. And they sold him for a very handsome sum uh, to Real Madrid, and Ferguson restructured his team as a result and went on, obviously, to win numerous more titles, etc., etc., and Beckham went on to, you know, several FC Hollywood clubs, um, including Real Madrid afterwards. So I just wonder, I, I do mm -hmm. wonder if Ed Woodward is intelligent or if he is uh, intuitive enough to realise that even though the Pogba experiment in bringing him back, and remember it was Ferguson who let Pogba go, he did want to keep him, but he saw the dangers going forward of Mina Raiola as his agent, and Pogba's own ego and personality, they didn't fight to the death to keep him. They let him go to Juventus. I wonder if Woodward is both intuitive enough and courageous enough to back his manager and say, this is our Beckham moment in 
2018 or it'll be transfer window 2019. And we need to get rid of the virus and to allow the club and the players who are around Pogba to express themselves as a team rather than an individual and make this club work again. Because clearly, the dysfunctional relationship between Mourinho and Pogba has not gone away. It is worsened for that kind of dressing room, uh, dressing down to be given. And there's a massive decision to be made. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Ryle has already been in touch with Woodward regarding what was said in the dressing room last Saturday evening and demanded his player be given priority. But I doubt, I doubt that at this moment in time, the Glazers, from what I've heard, nor even Woodward for that matter, are willing to part company with Josie Mourinho on the basis of his relationship with Paul Pogba. However, parting with Paul Pogba and seeing what happens might actually still be the best case scenario for the club. It's not just Paul Pogba though, is it guys? I mean, if you look at some of these stats that were released by BT Sport at the weekend there, distance covered per game after 13 Premier League games so far, rank Manchester United 16th. Sprints per game, rank Manchester United 18th. The amount of times they've outrun their opponents, 0-13. It's quite damning, isn't it? Is it the case that it's not just Paul Pogba? I think it. I think it looks. It looks terrible. Those statistics looks terrible. No doubt about it. And they're very powerful um, evidence um, for people who um, want uh, Mourinho out of the club or say he's not managing the club properly. I think you do with these statistics. You have to um, understand that um, running statistics generally they reflect the style of play as much, if not more, than they reflect the effort being put in by a team. So you'll always find a club like Manchester City or Liverpool, for example, who um, are dependent on pressing um, for their attack and, and for their defence, um, particularly Manchester City are dependent on pressing for their defence, that you will find those teams run more. But a team that, that um, often plays um, for space and uh, play quite often plays with a low or a mid-block, as coaches call it, will um, cover less distance. And to give you a couple of examples, uh, when Internazionale won the Champions League in 2009-10 um, with Jose Mourinho as coach, they had the lowest distance covered of the 16 teams that made um, the, the last 16 of the Champions League. Um, and if you look at the UEFA technical report for that season, it, it describes, notes that number and, and talks about the efficiency with which um, Inter played. Um, and you could say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's uh, eight years ago, the game has moved on, things have changed. Well, you can go to the World Cup statistics. France win the World Cup with Paul Pogba in the team. Um, they, France were 28th of the 32 teams at the World Cup for distance covered. Again, because they were playing an efficient style um, playing on the counter-attack, using the qualities they had to best effect, won the tournament. So, so the, I think those statistics are a bit deceptive, um, but they, you know, they don't do, they're not helping Mourinho, and they, they're the kind of statistic that appeal to fans and are interpreted as um, the players aren't putting effort in for him. I think Ian makes a very good analogy with, with Sir Alex Ferguson in terms of his readiness to get rid of players when he felt um, they were destructive uh, in the dressing room or not no longer positive for the team. And, and you can expand it to uh, Roy Keane, um, Yapstam. Brian Robson as well, Duncan. Uh, Steve Bruce, yeah. going back further. Paulins, Kinchelskis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fair, so fair, he, had, he had a habit. He had, he had, a, he had an instinct. And in the case of Beckham, it wasn't that he wasn't playing well for the team, which is Pogba is not playing well for the team. It was about his influence on other players. But, Duncan, you um, quoted a very interesting stat on social media as well in the last few days about Pogba's one-on-one -on -one um, battles with opponents. And he's lost the ball more times than any other player in the Premier League. Is that correct? Well, in that game against Southampton, he, he lost his one-on-one uh, -on -one duels, uh, 15 of 30, and he was dispossessed eight times. His pass completion rate was less than 85%, which is all, all very poor numbers. Um, it's actually the Times uh, came up with a statistic on, in their Monday match report, which is of 
all the midfielders in the Premier League, he's lost the ball more um, than anyone else. So two, 252 times already this season he's lost the ball. And the counter to that is, and, and obviously with stats, you, you've always got to look at context, is that uh, if you look at last season's Premier League stat statistics, Kevin De Bruyne lost the ball more than anyone else. And therefore you're saying, well, okay, it's just something that creative midfielders do. However, Kevin De Bruyne, as we know, was the, the creative fulcrum of that Manchester City team. He had 16 um, assists across the season. And then, you know, uh, a lot of, of work setting up goals beyond those assists. If you look at Pogba's assists for this season, he's third. Uh, sorry, he's, he has only three assists, which is uh, equal with Marcus Rashford. Um, and just one more than Alexis Sanchez, who's hardly been a, a roaring success for United this season, which places him 19th in the Premier League in assists on, on the same level as Cardiff City centre-back Sean Morrison. So... Um, I think in, in his case, the lost balls are telling because he's losing the ball and not creating enough, albeit the strikers aren't converting well. He's clearly not on the same level as De Bruyne there. But just on that Ferguson thing, I think there's a big difference with Mourinho in that Ferguson was acting from one from a position of strength when he got, got rid of these players, um, a huge position of strength, and two, the players didn't cost as much. Um, you know, this is a different era where where a player like Paul Pogba is so costs so much to buy and is on such a big contract um, that and and is you know as we've talked about many times he's commercially of huge importance to the club. This is a club that signs players according to their social media presence because they think they can make more commercial revenue out of them. Alex Ferguson didn't have to deal with any of that. Um, you know, Beckham and Roy Keane were well-paid players, but they're not on the dimension uh, as a percentage of the club's revenue that Paul Pogba is. And I think there's an additional factor here which, is, which makes it even more risky for, for Jose Mourinho is that Paul Pogba is his signing. It's the big, by far the most expensive player he's ever signed. The, the, the kind of linchpin signing of his, of his first summer at the club Yes, Edward would wanted them. Yes, Manchester United wanted them back. Yes, there was commercial considerations. But Jose Mourinho wanted that player and pushed for that player. So I think part of the reason um, he didn't push so hard to let him go in the summer was because he knows it's embarrassing for him uh, to have this situation. It would be much better for him to be able to turn Pogba around on the pitch um, and, and, and it to be seen as a success success and that's what he's tried to do but I think we've come to a point here where um, Mourinho is under so much pressure um, and he knows his job is on the line that he's prepared to make these high-risk moves to try and resolve the situation not just for himself let's be let's be um, definite about this he wants Manchester United to win he wants to remain in this job he wants to win trophies for Manchester United he wants to be seen as a success but he wants to win things which is as anyone who's who's covered him through his career knows the man is obsessed with with being a winner and nothing frustrates him more than a football club that isn't functioning properly to achieve success in the field it's looking highly unlikely now, Duncan, that he will be a winner at Manchester United, certainly based on the performances in the Premier League this season. But in terms of Paul Pogba, do you think his United career is destined to end in a transfer regardless of Mourinho's future? Because he doesn't seem that he's that happy with the status quo I think, generally. I think, I think another element of this is where Manchester United to take the decision to cash in on Paul Pogba or to cut their losses on Paul Pogba, as it might turn out to be, they're pushing against an open door. Mino Raiola is trying to move the player, has been trying to move the player, and, and I'm sure that um, Raiola will spin this situation as, oh, we, we just want the best for the club, and if the, if the manager was to, to be moved out, then you would see the best of, of uh, my client at Manchester United. But Raiola's history is to move players on a frequent basis. His response last season um, to the basically the first stirrings of trouble was to go around the top clubs in Europe and offer his client to them, including Manchester City, which Pep Guardiola went public on just before the, the Manchester derby. So 
if Manchester United take that decision, Mino Raiola is not going to stand against it. If he can get him to, for example, Barcelona or Paris Saint-Germain or Juventus, and Manchester United are prepared to knock the price down to let that happen, he will be quite happy to take another substantial commission on the move. And I don't think Pogba's great preference is to be at Manchester United. I think he likes the club. Uh, it would be good for him to be successful there. He's not against in principle, but I think he would be much happier at a club which is winning, which is more successful, which is you know based in a, in a nicer climate. So they have the option here if they're prepared to take the hit. Um, but, and, and that's what we have to wait and see. Do they take the option? Are they gonna are they gonna come down on the side of Jose Mourinho? Or are they gonna come down on the side of Paul Pogba? Or are they gonna try and um, negotiate some kind of reconciliation and fudge along and, and see if um, the two parties can resolve the differences and both perform as they expected them to perform when they hired them? One uh, last uh, little thing, Johnny, before we uh, move on, I think it's worth noting that uh, in residence of the great Sir Alex Ferguson, one of the uh, famous quotes in 2007 when Real Madrid were linked to buying Cristiano Ronaldo from Manchester United was, I wouldn't sell them a virus. <laughs> <laughs> what happened one year later? <laughs> and they didn't even have a graduated doctor floating around to um, sort to, out that to, story. To, 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 to give the prognosis, actually not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think, I think this is one. We know it's going to run and run. We've said it. We, we've, we've been first with many of the... Uh, stories and information regarding Pogba and Mourinho and uh, watch this space uh, people out there we'll give you everything first. Okay well we're going to move across Manchester now and down to London as well because Santa Claus appears to have come early for the players of Manchester City and Chelsea. What's going on Ian it seems like contracts are being doled out. This is a, a, a protective and a defensive measure Johnny um, uh, which has been necessitated by uh, both FIFA and UEFA's moves um, in the recent, uh, well, two weeks in terms of FIFA, but spanning back much further in terms of UEFA, um, in terms of Manchester City financial fair play. Uh, this week we have seen um, UEFA President Alexander Seferin um, only yesterday say that he described the reopening of um, proceedings against Manchester City for historical FFP um, uh breaches of rules as concrete, which is a very interesting way of phrasing it. And he also said that we can expect as the public <clears throat> to find out what the punishments will be regarding the um, Operation Longbow uh, allegations which were carried in Der Spiegel, etc. and widely reported in this country. And I noticed that two or three of the most um, revered sports news reporters on football politics um, in this country have um, come down very heavily this morning and uh, in recent days on the side that Manchester City will be given an exclusion uh, from the Champions League or indeed Europa League depending on where they finish. Now obviously the FIFA threat is um, a little bit um, more complicated because it involves the trafficking and signing of players who are under 16 or, or between 16 and 18 over the course of many years and uh, where that was legal or not under FIFA rules. Uh, now that would carry a ban, um, not in terms of transfer window, but uh, sorry, a transfer, it would carry a transfer window ban rather than exclusion from European competition. The reaction to this on both sides has been as you said, it's going to be an early Christmas present for some players because, as we have seen historically, um, uh, Atletico Madrid and um, Real Madrid, when suffering similar bans in terms of transfer window, what they did was they, they rushed into transfer uh, to negotiations with key players and even not key players uh, in order to extend contracts to ensure that they were happy to stay at the club, both financially and through any um, period where they were not allowed to sign new players and bring players in, therefore improve the squad. And in this case, for the possibility of Chelsea and for Manchester City, that, that won't just be a transfer ban, it could actually be an exclusion from European competition. So in the past eight days alone, we've seen uh, Marcus Alonso at Chelsea sign a new five-year deal. Um, we've also seen uh, today 
uh, Tuesday that uh, Cesar Aspilicueto, or Dave, as he's more um, famously known in the Chelsea dressing room, has done likewise until 2022. They've also opened negotiations with three other players, to my knowledge, in the last uh, two weeks. And maybe as interesting as any of this, um, it's my information that communications between the football department at Manchester City, and by that I mean the people who make decisions, who... Um, who look at scouting reports, who effectively uh, analyse where they are in terms of current personnel, future personnel and personnel to be sold. So you're talking about, obviously, transactional um, issues with selling and buying players. The communication has been in the last 10 days that the club itself expects. Now, that's a very, very, very grave word to use in these circumstances. Expects or we should expect the possibility of a transfer and stroke European competition exclusion in the coming months. And in doing so, they have asked for everyone's opinion on how we should, Manchester City this is, how they should combat that in order to um, make the least impact in terms of their competitiveness in at least domestic competitions, should they obviously get a ban um, from European competition. So what, and the way to do this is fairly obvious. You sign up your best players on longer-term deals, improve contracts, so that they're not going to be tempted away, even if they want to play Champions League and Manchester City are banned from doing so. Well, they've been given compensation for that, and therefore they're happy to stay at the club on the basis that that ban obviously has a time limit, and they'll still be at the club when that time limit and when they're reintroduced to Champions League football, should they get a ban, etc, etc. Very obvious, but also, you know, the right move to do, very clever. Um, we've seen already Raheem Sterling, Kevin De Bruyne renewed at the Etihad. That's my understanding that Sané um, and Gabriel Jesus, as well as um, three other players, including Bernardo Silva, um, have been contacted by the representatives to say, we'd like to invite you in and talk to you about upgrading contracts, etc., etc., And obviously they're not giving, or not being as explicit as I am with regards to what, what the reason death of that is, but that is what's happening. And look, it's a clever move by the clubs. It's an expected one, um, but it just shows you how threatened two of England's biggest clubs feel by the potential punitive wrath of UEFA and FIFA. I think there'll be some very interesting discussions at Manchester City in particular because um, City uh, have a contractual system which is very uh, bonus driven, bonus and success driven and also uh, contracts tend, uh, tend to increase by year which is a way they've, they've actually used to, to counteract FFP. So they're, they're basically kicking the, 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 the cost of a contract down the line in the hope that their commercial revenues will have increased um, by the time they have to, to pay that. If you look at the Manchester City accounts, uh, it details a figure of over £100 million pounds of uh, contingent bonuses for transfers and contracts um, that they're already committed to. Um, so if you were, for example, Kevin De Bruyne's agent and you'd... Um, you know, recommitted to the club on the, the highest wages in the team and one of your bonuses was dependent on uh, playing in the Champions League um, and another one dependent on winning the Champions League and another one um, dependent on uh, winning the Ballon d'Or or coming close to win, winning the Ballon d'Or, you might um, have room to, to go back to the club early to suffer a, a Champions League suspension and say, um, how are you going to uh, resolve my client's inability um, to access the money um, he had set up as a prize for playing well, um, which is now going to be lost to him because of uh, misdemeanors of the club. So I think, I think that's going to be interesting. And it also obviously be interesting to the, to the players there. They haven't yet re renegotiated the deals on. Um, and I think, I, I, I agree with you, Ian. I think this is just another sign of just how well managed Manchester City are as a football club in terms of the way they use that largesse um, that they receive from Abu Dhabi and uh, spend it effectively um, on, on, on creating the best team they possibly can. It, they've always had this kind of um, forethought about them and it doesn't surprise me at all that they 
are pragmatically saying we are in serious danger now of um, both a, a FIFA transfer ban and the Champions League exclusion penalty. And we need to um, get our ship in order with our players, um, if not with the FFP auditors, um, before that happens. Um, and just uh, also fits with what I'm hearing, uh, talking to people in European football, um, you won't, I don't, I'm not sure any, um, any of the clubs or any of the heads of clubs have said anything publicly on this yet. I might be wrong, but I don't recall seeing any sort of president or manager um, coming out and condemning what Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain did and uh, stating that they expected them to be punished. And, and talking to people at clubs, I think that's a very deliberate strategy. I think uh, <clears throat> what I understand is the clubs are concerned that they don't want to be seen to be publicly um, requesting punishment for Manchester City. Um, Jose Mourinho's press conference the other day, he, he kind of alluded to the, the, the transgressions of FFP as being one of the reasons why Manchester City had been able to spend so much, but said, you know, I don't want to go into that. Um, and that's about as much as I've seen from any um, coach so far. And the clubs, I think, well, I'm being told, are reluctant to be seen to say things publicly because they feel they will have to deal with Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain and transfer negotiations in the future and, uh, and don't want it held against them. That doesn't mean that they are not petitioning um, heavily behind the scenes for punishments. In fact, that's exactly what I'm hearing from UEFA and from, uh, from some of the clubs is that they, death, they do want to see City and Paris Saint-Germain punished for this. They are you know, appalled by what they've done and they expect, um, expect those transgressions to be sorted out and the, and the, the playing field levelled by UEFA, which, which I think is why City are taking these precautions because they see the way the wind is blowing. It's well known, Duncan, as the West Ham rule when Karen Brady was um, very critical of the sacking of Claudio Ranieri in her newspaper column and Leicester City's owners, um, the late, um, obviously, Vishai, um, or sorry, Kun Vishai, as he's now um, commonly known, um, Sandra Parra, uh, refused to negotiate with West Ham on player loans and transfers on the basis of the criticism that they received. So I think you're absolutely spot on with regards to no one wanting to upset anyone in public. They might be saying it in private, but they won't be saying it anywhere uh, through a megaphone at Hamden. Well, we'll keep you up to date with this story. We've obviously been at the forefront of reporting about it, and we will continue to do that as the weeks and months progress. Um, but now we're going to move on to um, some quick-fire transfer news. We are the Transfer Podcast, after all. So I'm going to throw a name to you guys, and I want the latest on this name. So I'm going to start with Christian Pulisic. Yeah, well, we we've, um, we've, we reported last week, didn't we, uh, on Chelsea's um, moves I noticed that some of the press uh, seized on that and um, claimed that there was a meeting uh, initially between Borussia Dortmund and Chelsea uh, since that point with regards to the transfer, Johnny. Um, what has transpired since is that uh, speaking to um, a member of the players' representative team, um, I've ascertained that um, Pulisic himself at 19 fears that he may get lost in the Chelsea uh, flood of talented attacking midfielders and unless one of the major players moves on and I think he's looking at Aiden Hazard and the possibility of him leaving next summer which is certainly a possibility but not yet confirmed then he feels that maybe his um, future would be better uh, or more optimistic mm. at Liverpool where I think he sees there's a, a need for that uh, and, and also a desire to play that 4-3-3 system that Jurgen Klopp favours. And of course, um, as uh, Duncan will tell us, there is definitely a desire for the owners of Liverpool to recruit um, the next American superstar. Duncan, next name on the list, David De Gea. Yeah, I did a story at the weekend, um, Sunday Times, following up on the piece I did for the record in August um, about his uh, contract discussions with Manchester United. Essentially, there's there's not been any great change in the sense that what I wrote in August was that he was unhappy with the offer 
from Manchester United and uh, was asking to be made um, the highest paid player at the club on a, on a par with Alexis Sanchez and Paul Pogba um, on the basis of his performances, um, player of the year um, for the last five seasons, I think. Um, and I think he's been in five of the last six uh, Premier League teams of the year. So his argument is, I'm, I am the most eff effective player at the club, therefore I expect to be paid at, at that level. United haven't offered him that uh, money. Um, there's been uh, the suggestion that United would, um, if they felt they could not convince De Gea to extend his contract, um, and they've, they've already taken up the one-year option, uh, to run another season, um, that they would look to sell him in the summer and uh, and take um, what transfer value they could um, from adding that extra year of contract and replace him with um, a player that, that was has been prominently mentioned as Jordan Pickford, um, the England goalkeeper. Um, the Hayes camp stan stance on that is very clear. Um, they say he will either sign a new contract or he will leave Manchester United in a year and a half's time. He won't be sold. Um, so they're not interested in a move in the summer. Uh, and they're, they're thinking on this essentially is that um, we saw in the last transfer window, two English clubs sign um, Kepa and Alison Becker for record uh, transfer fees for goalkeepers, both over 70 million euros each, um, which has established the value of goalkeepers in the modern game at a, a level far higher than it ever was before. I think both of those fees are double the, the previous record for Jean-Louis Buffon. Um, therefore, if, the, if De Gea was to leave under freedom of contract in a year and a half's time, he would be entitled to not the same as those transfer fees, but a very substantial um, signing on fee in lieu of the fact that he was joining as a, as a free agent. Um, and uh, so they are essentially in a position of power. Manchester United have allowed them to get into that position of power by not renewing the contract last season when De Gea was open to extending. Um, and uh, and they will use that in negotiations going forward to achieve um, either achieve the sum they want at Manchester United or achieve the sum they expect at one of his suitors, um, most prominent at present, Paris Saint-Germain and Juventus. Ian, Alexandro of Juventus. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Johnny, because um, as we know, he was very high on Jose Mourinho's list um, for left-back, or, or, or indeed he's, he's able to play left-centre-back as well. But I think that ship has sailed um, in terms of uh, Luke Shaw's better form um, and the fact that his left-centre-back is not his most... Um, it's not his strength, if you like, in terms of where he plays in the field. He could play as a wing back. He could potentially play as a left side of a three. Um, but again, his attacking sort of mentality would would ask questions about his suitability or to protect the counter. Reports in Italy this morning say he's agreed a ten million euro contract, or at least he's been offered it by an English club. Um, I would be surprised if it was Manchester United. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he'd been offered the contract. I think the biggest sticking point here is is not his buyout clause, but what Juventus ex expect to recoup from his sale. Although um, my information, again, Italy, is that they would look and they would be happy to sell him in January in order um, to recoup some of the money they've invested in Cristiano Ronaldo and the fact that they are, again, finding things relatively simple regarding um, Serie A. But obviously the Champions League is their priority as it has been, I think, since um, winning so many Scudettos uh, con consecutively. So uh, it's one to just keep an eye on, I think. Um, when a player of Alexandro's quality is on the market, you'll always have suitors. And because the Premier League does pay the best wages, then I think that's something that we will uh, explore in, in, in coming weeks. And Duncan, round us off with Fabinho. Yeah, um, interesting. Fabinho, um, very strong from Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, which is not a surprise because uh, PSG really should have signed the player um, in the summer of 2017. They had a deal in place with Monaco, joint deal with Kylian Mbappe. They had to dump it because after um, spending $222 million, um, to buy out Neymar's contract and then agreeing another $180 million for Mbappe, 
uh, the rest of the clubs in the world, including clubs like Madrid, who'd been trying to sign both of those players themselves, um, started petitioning UEFA and saying, look, come on, um, this is ridiculous. There is supposed to be something resembling financial fair play here. Uh, so the pressure was put on their accounts immediately and they had to drop out of that Fabinho deal and restructure the Mbappé deal as a loan with an obligatory option to buy this summer. The reason they're, they're back in for Fabinho is essentially because he has been left on the sidelines for most, most of the, 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 the start of the season. He's coming into the team more for Jurgen Klopp now. Um, not unusual. Um, uh, we've had a lot of comment about why isn't Fred playing for Manchester United when he is, uh, was the most expensive of the signing of the summer? Actually, very similar situation to Fabinho. Similar situation to almost every Brazilian who's moved to the Premier League. Almost all of them take a, a significant period of ad adaptation, particularly if they're playing in midfield, um, particularly if they've come from countries like um, Ukraine, as, uh, as Fred has, where the, the pace of the game is, is lower and they've been playing for top team in division, so it's been easier for them. But um, PSG have been trying to um, say, renegotiate a contract to keep Adrian Rabio at the club. Uh, Rabio has been very hard to deal with, uh, wanted across Europe, particularly in demand at Barcelona. It looks like he's going to leave under freedom of contract at the end of the season. Um, and PSG have basically gone and asked whether they could take Fabinho um, in the hope that Liverpool felt they'd made a mistake on that transfer and they could get him either at the, the fee Liverpool had paid for them or, or perhaps a discount on it. They've been told no, Liverpool aren't interested in selling. Um, Klopp is happy with them. Um, so they, they don't expect Fabinho to be, be moving, but keep an eye on what PSG do in that midfield position. OK, fantastic. Well... Kind of a quick fire round there, but it's not the real quick fire round. This is the real quick fire round now. And today, in the spirit of the Ballon d'Or Awards, which were given out last night, um, we are going to do our own version, the Ballon de Merde. Have I pronounced that right? De Merde. 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 So, I won't, I won't give you the um, translation of that because I'm sure you, you get the gist. So can, I do it in, can I do it in Scottish slang? Yes, go, go, go. Ballon de Jobbies. <laughs> I don't think that's going to, going to um, you know, particularly offend any of our listeners, Johnny. No, don't you? People, I think people have got the idea roughly what we're trying to do here. So I'm going to start surely, with surely, surely it should be the big brown ball of jobbies as opposed to the ballon de jobbies. The grand ballon de jobby. <laughs> this is becoming less of a quick fire round and more of a toilet round. <laughs> Yes, I, well, it's, perhaps it's, we should flush this. Um, hey! <laughs> it's, us, it's usually pish anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to start with you, Duncan. Give us your nominee. One of my nominees for this very special award would be um, a player at Liverpool. Um, and I'm going to mention him now because um, we've just been talking about Fabinho. Um, and I think Jordan Henderson um, is probably one of the most overrated players in the Premier League at the moment. Um, I think he got uh, far too much praise for his performances in the World Cup. I think he was a weakness for the England team. And I think he has been responsible for, or at least partially responsible for the tail off in Liverpool's on-field performances, albeit they're still winning uh, the vast majority of their games and they're still unbeaten in the Premier League. I don't think uh, there's anyone arguing that uh, Liverpool are playing as well as they could do. And uh, some interesting statistics from um, one Liverpool um, fan and football analyst, um, Simon Brundish, who is well worth following on Twitter. Um, he is not a fan of Henderson's and um, has been very strong in the defence of Fabinho. And he's pointed out that Henderson, in his 774 minutes on the pitch for Liverpool this season, has completed 54 passes to forwards so far this season. Fabinho, in, in around about half the time, 441 minutes, has completed 50 passes to forwards, um, which shows probably that the criticism of Fabinho and his failure to um, properly mesh with the Liverpool team is somewhat overstated and shows that um, this probably the sooner they get the Ballon de Merde candidate Henderson out of their starting eleven, and Fabinho in on a regular basis, their form should pick up. Ian, give us your first pick. 
Well, it's it's a relevant one to Le, Le Grand Ballon de Joby here um, because this player is someone who's performed um, exceptionally uh, until now, both this season for his club and for his country, England. But when you make a howler like you did in the 95th minute of the Merseyside derby, when just when your fans, your manager, your your teammates think you get bragging rights for stopping Liverpool's very, very impressive um, juggernaut-like uh, um, tilt at the Premier League title and in terms of stopping them from catching Manchester City, etc., etc., as another Jordan, Jordan Pinkford, did um, last weekend, then... You would think that Lamert was on the ball, literally, the way that he um, sort of mishandled it, let it bounce off the post, and then allowed Divock Origi, that uh, absolute uh, prolific Belgian striker, to get in and score the winning goal. And I have to say, despite the fact that I've got a lot of time for Jordan Pickford and a lot of respect for him as a footballer, as well as what he's produced so far in his career, I I really think, and I, and I hope it's not the case, but I think that people will remember him for that moment. And as one um, very sort of sage-like Liverpool journalist uh, did write, if, and that's a very big if, Liverpool going to win the title this season, that moment we played again and again and again. And unfortunately, Pickford has got to hope that somehow, um, yeah, he can erase that memory and that uh, Liverpool don't win the title because he will be the one who's um, put at fault. You're suggesting, you're suggesting they should be re- renamed, Ian. Should, it be, should we switch the Jordan for Jobby Pickford and Jobby Henderson? <laughs> well, you said it, not me. I mean, you know, there's, I, to be honest with you, there was a time about 18 months ago and there just weren't enough Jordans in football, uh, if you remember Jordan I. But <laughs> it was like Jordans everywhere. But, but none Joe, of them Joe Jordan. Joey Jordan, exactly. Jordan Rhodes. The original. The original. They're, they're all terrified. As they await Duncan's second pick. <laughs> the second pick is, I think, the easiest of them all. Um, the great signing of the January transfer window, um, the, the, the player that uh, Manchester City and Manchester United fought to sign, who Manchester United made the, um, the best, equal best paid player at the club, um, to great controversy, whose you know, who's, uh, reported salary increased by 100,000 every two days in, in the wake of his deal, um, who's um, basically failed to perform on the pitch um, for most of his time at United, who has um, caught the ire of his teammates by with his personality at the training ground and with his um, over-demanding nature on the pitch, and who's, um, unfortunately for him, uh, now severely damaged his hamstring um, in a training ground incident and is likely to be out well into the new year, new year um, and that's Alexis Sanchez. Okay, and round us off, Ian, your final pick. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we've we've stayed away from the the toilet jokes. We've gone a little bit um, sort of you know post under fives there. Instead, I'll I'll, I'll um, sort of round us off with uh, here like spaghetti jokes and uh, reference to the Simpsons. Uh, there can only be one sideshow Bob. Uh, David Luiz, his performance against Tottenham alone um, earned him the Ballon Merde. Um, he looked like he spent most of the game asleep in centre of defence, which is quite something when you're playing at Wembley um, in front of 67,000 or so fans. Uh, at fault for goals, at fault for giving away possession, at fault for not taking it on his man, at fault for not covering space. And um, I've been a long-time critic. At the same time, I admire his, um, I admire his joie de vivre, if I can bring in a, a third language just to confuse things even more, um, that he does, you know, he, he does seem to be someone who tries his best and gives his best. But there are other days where it just looks like, yeah, he's, um, you know, spent too long on the sofa. He's got out on the wrong side of the bed. And then he just goes out on the field and, and doesn't really engage with either the game or his teammates or even the, the competition that he's involved in. And so in terms of, you know, our last contender for this very, very prestigious prize, I would say that he must must be high on the shortlist, even maybe up there for the winner. 
I thought I thought Ian, you were going to say David Luiz because he could, with his hairstyle, he could serve as a toilet cleaner. <laughs> oh, I've missed that one, haven't I? I've missed that. Yeah, it just shows you. We need to we need to, we need to do that podcast about going up memory lane. Listen, Duncan, we've got four names there. Who is going to be the official transfer window Ballon de Joby winner? I think Johnny has to, to choose the, the Ballon de Yes, Joby. Johnny, I think you've got to be the judge on this one, mate. Before, before you do that, let's pay tribute to Luka Modric um, for winning the Ballon d'Or um, and ending the, the long uh, joint reign of Lionel Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And, you know, the I've duopoly, always... I think we call it, which sounds Indeed. almost... <laughs> and, you know, the, the, I, I've always liked Luka Modric as a player and it's great to see uh, someone of his stature and who plays in that kind of sort of creative, more reserved fashion, um, be uh, rewarded with the biggest prize and in, individual prize in, in football. And, and since we've uh, mentioned the, the, you know, the poor signings that Jose Mourinho has made in uh, Paul Pogba and Alexis Sanchez, it should be noted that the man who brought Luka Modric to Real Madrid to quite a lot of uh, disdain from Real Madrid fans was that Jose Mourinho. So he doesn't get them all wrong. Um, it should also be noted that after his first season at uh, Real Madrid, he was voted the worst signing of the season. So it shows um, sometimes don't make judgments too early on players. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to go for Alexis Sanchez. You can't not in that list, I'm afraid. Um, and as a man who spends a lot of time with his two dogs, he'll be used to picking up jobbies. So our official... Oh, you- You've done me there, Johnny. I was going to do that joke. I, I spend a lot of time with my dog, and I spend a lot of time picking up his poo as well. Yeah. Y- young Jimmy Bone. <laughs> so he is our official Ballon de Jobby winner, Alexis Sanchez. Okay, well, with that, I'm afraid I'm going to have to slam this particular transfer window shut. Any more chat of jobbies is just going to drive us uh, into triviality. Deep, deeper, in, triviality. deeper into it. Yes. So um, we're going to call it a day there. To continue the debate, we are all on Twitter and even have our own Transfer Window official account at Transfer Podcast, so give us a follow. If you want to discuss anything with us individually, uh, I'm at Johnny R. McFarlane, and more importantly, our pundits are at Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. If you like the podcast, and we know thousands of you do, give something back by popping onto iTunes and giving us a five-star review, as this helps us reach as many listeners as possible. We'll be back next Tuesday before 3pm. Until next time. Thanks for listening.